I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from the UAE. Hot on the heels of Tucker Carlson allowing Americans to finally hear another side to the story of the U.S. war on Russia through Ukraine. Meanwhile, no one is in any doubt that the plausible genocide in Gaza was enabled by billions of dollars of weapons and support given by the Biden administration, with tens of thousands killed, most of them women and children. And now NATO nation outlawing of money going to the main U.N. aid organization that educates houses and cares for refugees across this region, the international community is waiting for a new U.S. president. Could that be Professor Cornell West, or could he help determine who ultimately gets elected in November? The lifelong peace activist, scholar, and freedom fighter is running as an independent in the 2024 U.S. presidential election. He joins me now from New York. Thank you so much, uh, Professor West, for uh, coming back on Going Underground. It's been a long time. Uh, clearly, and now you're running uh, for uh, president. Before I get to uh, uh, the present president's backing of genocide in Gaza, uh, for American viewers of this, what states will you be on the ballot for on the 5th of November this year? Well, we're shooting for all 50. I should be on a good 15 by March, 30 in the summer, and by November 1, we're shooting for all 50, my brother. Very much so. We can't really begin in an intense way until uh, just a week or two ago because in, in the States, the duopoly is so deeply colonized and dominated by big money, make it difficult for independent candidates to even begin the process of gaining, gaining access to the ballots until uh, February 1 in most states. And so that, that's why we, we've already got Alaska, we've got Oregon, we've got Nebraska, we have a number already, but we're on the move for a good 15 by the Ides of March, and then 30 by June, and then 50 by November. Well, let's just go to the genocide then before more on your campaign. You're no fan of Donald mm. Trump, but uh, you could stop Biden's uh, backing of genocide, stop the US-UK-backed bombing of Syria, Iraq, Yemen, uh, if you were president, clearly. Of course, Trump says he would stop it in a matter of hours. Um, would you, how would you do that? And what has been your, um, your reaction to President Biden? After all, you were a supporter of his, in a way, uh, last time around. Well, I've always been a very, very strong foe, enemy, and critic of Biden. I tried to be part of an anti-fascist coalition, thinking that Biden was going to speak to the issues of wealth inequality and mass incarceration, cut back on militarism, but I was wrong, and that's why I'm thoroughly uh, uh, convinced that uh, he's no major alternative to the neo-fascist option of Trump, uh, that Biden himself is not just an enabler of genocide, ethnic cleansing, a supporter of apartheid-like regime, but he also is so deeply, deeply tied to a kind of a mirage uh, it's this mirage of thinking that he's actually going to be pro-labor. Well, he shows up for a few seconds and then pulls back and shuts down the railway workers in their strike. And the labor movement too often still opts for him. Same is true in the black community. He brings in some black faces in high places and yet still reinforces policies that do in black, poor, and working people. And so I, uh, I view Biden himself as... Uh, not only part of the problem, but no serious opposition to the escalating fascism in the United States. I mean, what changed? Is it is it Gaza that changed uh, since the last time I spoke to you on Going Underground? Because uh, for you, the big enemy was Donald Trump. 
Now we're talking about a president. I mean, it's pretty rare that even uh, even international bodies like the World Court can cast a verdict like plausible genocide on a president. This is worse than anything Trump could do. The mass murder well, I mean, of so have, many women and children. Right, I mean, I, I think we need to have American lawyers there with the South African lawyers and the others to bring justice to bear on these vicious uh, gen gen genocidal attacks on precious Palestinian brothers and sisters. Uh, but the shift, I think, that took place for me was that uh, I was under the impression that he actually was going to do something about uh, uh, issues of poverty. And remember, he had cut poverty, child poverty in half, a very important executive order and congressional legislation. But it expired, and the child poverty rate doubled again. And you see, I come out of the King legacy, which I'm an abolitionist when it comes to poverty. But when it comes to poverty, I want to abolish poverty. I want to abolish homelessness. I want to support trade union movement, $27 minimum wage. I want to make sure that Wall Street is not just walled in. I'm very much for workers' control. I, I, want, I want to see workers' voices shaping the destiny of the nation. Therefore, I'm calling for the nationalization of some of the major, major monopolies. And it's beginning with the few fossil and few. I want to eliminate it, given the ecological crisis, but I want to put it under national... Uh, and civic oversight to make sure that they're not contributing to their obsession with profits and calling into question the future of the planet. So that it's a, I've got a, not just a progressive, but it's, it's a, uh, a deeply, deeply revolutionary vision and, and platform and policy. And I think that's what we need because we're living in a moment of multiple catastrophes, ecological, poss possible nuclear, deeply economic and political in the United States, but also spiritual and more. You know, we've got escalating levels of hatred that are, are spinning out of control. We've got an organized greed that's on steroids. So there's some very deep moral and spiritual issues that need to be talked about in, 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 in addition to the structural and institutional ones. What, uh, I'm sure you expected it, what are the kinds of uh, reactions are you receiving from the pro-Biden establishment that wants Biden to win another term as president, despite, as I said, this uh, international court ruling that, uh, well, could mean he's a co-conspirator in genocide. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's fascinating, though, brother. I mean, the first three weeks when I announced in June, I became the major threat to American democracy and the enabler of American fascists. I said <laughs> to myself, my God. I wish I had that kind of power where I would be with poor and working people in, in enabled and empowered in a mighty way, not just here, but around the world. I'm committed to those friends for all called the retro of the earth in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, in Latin America. But all it meant was that I was calling into question their version of Tina. You remember Margaret Thatcher's Tina, there is no alternative. You must fit in, accommodate yourself, become well-adjusted to injustice. And I'm saying, no, no, not at all. There is an alternative. And it, it, in my campaign, it's nothing but a moment in a movement. It's very important to keep in mind. You see, the change I'm talking about will not come about with one president. It won't come about with just voting. We're talking about social movements that's on the way to fundamental transformation of the economy, nation state. And, of course, I want to head the American empire in order to dismantle the empire. We don't need 800 military units around the world. We don't need special operations in 130 countries. 
The American empire is in decay. We need to dismantle the empire. The United States needs to be one nation among nations, a decent nation among other nations. I'm an anti-imperialist candidate. Well, if we put aside your big differences with Trump, who's clearly the favorite to be the uh, president of the next president of the United States, isn't that similar to what Donald Trump is saying when he talks about the waste of money on NATO, when he talks about the uh, waste of uh, American expenditure on uh, wars in Western Europe? Uh, he's quieter slightly about the Middle East because clearly he has big donors from well, uh, Israel. Well, no, he's not too quiet. We know where he stands on Israel. He's much more further right-wing than, than Biden is in terms of moving the capital of Jerusalem, deferring to the Israeli elites, defer, deferring to the, 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 the Zionist lobbies at home. No, Trump... So you, wait, wait, just time. on that, actually, Professor, surely... You, so yeah, you could see yeah. Trump doing the same thing as Biden is as regards the ongoing oh, well, the mass murder. Oh, absolutely. Now, because he didn't different. start any wars, remember, uh, uh, Trump. Yeah, he assassinated he, people... He killed people. Yeah, he, and he, he tightened the apartheid regime. He encouraged Netanyahu. He's the one that talked about not just shifting the capital, but making sure that Israel became even more and more acceptable with the various connections with Egypt and not saying a mumbling word about the vicious suffering of Palestinians under apartheid regime. So that in that sense, he doesn't have an anti-imperialist bone in his body. He's, he's an isolationist, which is very different. So he, we, I, I do view NATO as an extension of American hegemony, as an extension of American imperial foreign policy. And therefore, my critique of NATO comes from an anti-imperialist point of view. His critique of NATO is, we're spending too much money, these Europeans don't deserve it, they need to secure themselves, and we will pull back. But given That's we're talking about the imminent end of the world, thing. not through the ecology, actually, but given that an Israeli cabinet minister has talked about using Israeli nuclear weapons, and of course... Uh, we've never seen such tensions uh, in terms of nuclear tensions That's between right. Russia and NATO. Isn't it time then for a grand coalition against uh, Biden and all that uh, he represents as regards uh, uh, war in the military-industrial complex? Well, it depends on what kind of coalition you're talking about, though, here. That is to say that you have to be tied to a certain consistency and constancy in terms of the truth and the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. So that, for example, on the one hand, I mean, you got you got Iran. Now, Iran has their critique of Biden. It's, it, 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 at times, it sounds very similar to mine, but I have a critique of Iran. I'm not a supporter of, Mulark, of the Mulaks. I'm, I, I support a woman life freedom movement. I support those who are resisting against the form of domination within. Same is true with Russia. Russia itself was provoked by the expansion of NATO. It led toward what is going on in Ukraine. But I have my own critiques of the Russian system and Putin himself in terms of structures of domination and the silencing of dissonant voices and so forth. So there's a moral consistency along with a political solidarity so that the coalitions that I'm talking about is not just a function of realpolitik, but it's also a commitment to truth, commitment to justice, wherever, whatever context we're talking about. Me but, there, but there's a whatever collision context. here, isn't there, of, uh, of aspiration. I mean, Tucker Carlson yeah. on Fox News used to say all sorts of strange things about immigrants. He doesn't have an anti-imperialist bone in his well, body either. But, but hasn't he oh changed? 
Aren't people changing and becoming more? You just see it as isolationism, right-wing isolation. He's the right-wing populist. He's the right-wing populist. He's got a critique of elites, and of course, I have my critique of elites. But his critiques of elites doesn't say a mumbling word about mass incarceration at home. Doesn't say a mumbling word about anti-poverty programs. Doesn't say a mumbling word about white supremacy. And he he was so pro-white supremacist and continues to be in a variety of different ways at home. But as an as a populist who's against various forms of elites, it makes him look and appear as if he's got critiques of empire when it's actually an imperial critique of empire. Okay, Almost like, like, but you're running for president. It isn't now the time in which you have to triangulate and get the support of all those people. We all remember uh, what was well, what, what was it Malcolm X uh, supported that right wing yeah. senator's view on uh, the defense of extremism. <laughs> not being a vice. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not a triangulator, though, brother. If we're going to have persons who support me, I'm going to be taking my stands based on how I understand the world. I'm not a garden variety politician in that regard. I'm not going to sacrifice my commitment to truth and justice anywhere just in order to win anyway. No, that's that's not how I, uh, that's not how I proceed. Professor, now, of course, West. I do have... Professor Gordon West, I'll stop yeah. you there. More from the 2024 U.S. independent presidential candidate after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Professor Cornell West, 2024 U.S. independent presidential candidate. You know, uh, Professor, we were talking in part one about uh, the fact that, um, as you designate them uh, right-wing or populist uh, isolationists like Tucker Carlson, are increasingly critical of U.S. foreign policy. Over here in the uh, Middle East, the big uh, story, as well as Gaza, is that uh, Imran Khan, the, uh, who used to run Pakistan, democratically elected leader, he made some comments about his overthrow being conducted at the hands of uh, U.S. Uh, conspirators. And uh, so it reminds uh, a lot of people in uh, Eurasia, and the Middle East, and Africa, and Latin America, about uh, uh, the U.S.'s sponsorship for democracy, as it's called in the State Department. What would you do as president when it comes to uh, all these different elements of the U.S. administry, U.S. state, that uh, act in all parts of the Global South to, as they see it, destroy any idea of democracy? You know, one of the things you have to do as president is use the bully pulpit to educate American citizens, American citizens need to know the fundamental role of the CIA, the fundamental role of U.S. imperial foreign policy that overthrew democratic regimes. We could talk about Guatemala. We could talk about Iran. We could talk about Brazil. We could talk about Dominican Republic. We could talk about Grenada. You could talk about Panama. We need to, they need to see the world through the lens of so many of our brothers and sisters in the so-called global south. You see, so often there's not just a willful ignorance, but there is a, a, a refusal to acknowledge the truth about the ways in which the United States has been an anti-democratic force around the world. It's been pro-market, always been obsessed with profits, always been obsessed with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank extracting resources as well as profits, but it has never, ever been pro-democratic in terms of empowering the poor and working peoples in Africa and Latin American Asia. So there's a pedagogical 
a function here so people can understand my vision because my vision is one that looks at the world through the lens of poor and working people here and around the world. And therefore, the policies that I would promote would be contrary to the International Monetary Fund, contrary to the World Bank. I want to empower poor and working people. I don't want to just create African bourgeoisies and Asian bourgeoisies and Latin American bourgeoisies, which are simply partners with, with international capital to continue to subordinate and dominate their own workers and their own poor people. I mean, Trump, again, coming from a very different philosophy, if philosophy is the right word to describe uh, where he's coming from at all, <laughs> has similar views about uh, these supernatural structures. He certainly has big views about the FBI, the CIA. I mean, I don't know, he has more in common with uh, the weatherman no, about the FBI. No, Who knows? He doesn't like them. Trump has been, Trump has been talking about using U.S. forces to invade Mexico. That is as imperialist as it can be. We had an 1846 war that conquered Mexico, took 50% of all of Mexico. I grew up in California, used to be Mexico. Texas used to be Mexico. Arizona used to be Mexico. It was a U.S. invasion of Mexico that led to that. Trump's now using the same language. That's 19th century imperial language in that regard. So again, I, I don't see where the, uh, there's any similarity to myself and, and Trump in that sense, even though it is different than the neoliberal. Because Trump presents his neo-fascism as, as an alternative to the neoliberalism of, of, of Biden. And the flip side of neoliberalism is what? Militaristic. Gaza. Militaristic attacks on Yemen, militaristic Latin America in the past, AFRICOM at this very moment. Well, neoliberalism can go with neocolonialism and military Keynesianism. And in fairness, as far as I understand it, John That's Bolton, true. his national security advisor, was on this show. And it was Trump who was offering an olive branch to Venezuela. If, uh, if, if uh, what you're going to do is to take the funding from the war machine and the war state and spend yes. it on right. education, on housing, on free health care right. for ordinary Americans, what are you going to do to the elites that have uh, subjugated most of the people in the United States for so long? Again, I have to say it, you know, Trump's uh, inauguration was talking about American carnage. There's something very similar to your view about what has been done to the poor working classes of the United States over decades. But uh, what will you do with the no, elites? No, Are Trump, you going to forgive Trump, the elites? Carnage was deeply, deeply anti-black. It was anti-brown. It was xenophobic, deeply white supremacist. Very, very different lens to which he's viewing the world when he talks about Saturday. I talk about declaring the the decay and decline of the empire. You're absolutely right about that. But I will not budge one inch when it comes to uh, opposition and critiques of white. Well, steal the line then. Steal the line okay. for your campaign. It is American well, no, carnage. No, I don't need to steal the line. I got my own line. <laughs> Brother, you know, Duke Ellington didn't have to steal the line of Paul Whiteman. He got his own line, man. So, some would say Beethoven. A bit of Beethoven in <laughs> that. But, uh, but, but are you going to forgive these elites then? Do they deserve no, forgiveness? No, they, they have to be brought to justice. They have to be brought to justice. I'm talking about Wall Street, really. I mean, how many Wall Street gangsters went to jail and inside of trading, market manipulation, predatory lending, and fraudulent activities? Not one under Obama, right? Not one went to jail. I had thousands and thousands of my friends and partners coming out of the chocolate side, the black side of Sacramento, that, in other parts that went to jail. So we're just talking about justice, not revenge, though. I mean, you know, 
I don't I don't believe in vicious talk about revenge. I just want justice. I mean, again, Trump is obsessed with revenge. You don't hear a lot of talk about justice in Trump at all. You know the pressures uh, against any president trying to bring in free health care, uh, given the Absolutely. power, financial power of that uh, lobby. Uh, why do you think uh, it is that uh, they continue to have such a uh, power as the, even the Biden administration admits, the uh, price of co-pays and all this private health insurance malarkey continues and the U.S. taxpayer has to pay ever more for it so it can end up in the company's uh, profit sheets? Yeah, we just don't have enough power. You know, the organized money uh, is more powerful at the moment than organized people, which means the people are not as well organized as we ought to be. But uh, the only thing that will end up changing in a way that I would like to change is, uh, is, is organized people power on the streets, going to jail, creating challenges, civic disobedience. Are the, uh, are the are the people still are the people still supporting the Biden version of democracy, <laughs> Biden Democrats? Uh, are they cowards? What is the role of cowards in your system? Well, I mean, that's a wonderful question, though, brother, because uh, I'd rather be a corpse than a coward myself. Uh, but the role of cowards are those who are willing to defer the powers that be for some kind of money, a status, a title and cowardliness, which cuts across color, cuts across gender, sexual orientation, and nation. It's a human thing, and it has to do with those who have given up on any vision, those who have sell, who sold their souls in relation to any vision that's changing the world in the name of poor and working people. And it is highly pervasive. Cowardliness is quite ubiquitous these days because it is rewarded. That's why you see so many black faces in high places who have sold their souls and want to act as if their very existence is a litmus test of black progress or human progress when it's crushing poor people, it's crushing working people, and yet in the name of diversity or inclusion or any of the bureaucratic categories that are out there that don't want to come to terms with the issues of class domination or imperial domination, don't want to come to terms with the plight and predicament of poor and working people. Yeah, Johnny Yellen was uh, in Congress answering questions. It was all the people of color that were asking her easy, uh, obsequious questions. And it was the white Republicans that were asking pertinent ones. Anyone could see that. Isn't that a problem? Well, we want pertinent questions from anybody and everybody. I'm Socratic in that sense, brother. I believe in Socratic dialogue across the board. And obviously, democracy is nothing without a free press. Do you have a free press that, in the United States? That, well, we got a cowardly press. We've got a press that is not willing to raise its voice to, 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 to actually wrestle with some of the deeper questions that have to do with the future of America. There's a bipartisanship in, in, in the U.S. press of the militarism, expansion of the military budget, no serious critiques of Wall Street, no serious critiques of corporate greed in Silicon Valley. You get that both Democratic Party, Republican Party, both Fox News and MSNBC. And they all hate Trump, and yet Trump is more popular than ever. Yeah. That's true. That's true. As, uh, as president, uh, would you immediately end this uh, extradition from uh, torture of Julian Assange, uh, who kind oh, of exemplifies absolutely. a free press. 
I would, the first day I would pardon Julian Assad. I would also pardon Mumia Abu Jamal. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would, allow, I would ask Asada Shakur to come home if she wanted to be. All of those who be un, have been unfairly incarcerated owing to their political views. And I'm thoroughly convinced that my dear brother Julian Assange has been unduly and unjustly treated owing to what? Exposing the crimes of the American empire. That's all brother Julian did. And it's sad to see that the, the, the journalistic establishment can't say a mumbling word about their fellow journalists. It just shows the level of hypocrisy. And as you know, brother Randy Credico and others I've been talking about this with great courage and power, and I stand with them. What happens to politicians in the United States who advocate for free health care, housing, education, and look like they're coming anywhere near power as they uh, say that uh, things like NATO should be dismantled and uh, the money should be spent not on uh, killing machines but on uh, American progress? Character assassination, literal assassination, marginalization, vicious attacks to misconstrue and misunderstand. But even given that intense bombardment, the great tradition of truth-telling and justice-seeking still goes on, my brother. That's the good news. That's the good news. It can never be completely snuffed out, never be thoroughly suffocated. Even if they kill the body, the spirit, and new bodies build on that spirit. That is the good news. So just to encapsulate it, your campaign and what marks you out different to Robert Kennedy, to Donald Trump, to uh, Genocide Joe, as he's called, uh, to encapsulate, what is the uh, platform? The platform of one is one of putting poor and working people at the center here and around the world of dismantling the empire, unleashing democratic possibilities, and also connecting the struggle to justice, to the love of beauty. So the musicians and the artists will play a fundamental role as we enact the kind of spiritual awakening and political renaissance needed to introduce America to the best of itself. That's Martin King, that's Edward Zaid, that's Rabbi Eshel, that's Dorothy Day, that's Curtis Mayfield and John Coltrane. Professor Cornel West, thank you. And that's it for the show. Our continued condolences to those surviving the killing in Gaza and Jerusalem. We'll be back on Monday focusing on another U.S. 2024 presidential candidate, Donald Trump, speaking to a former senior official who argues in a new book that Trump is the swamp he declares he wants to drain. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media. If it's not censored in your country, and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.